Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Welcome, everybody, back to Gestational Diabetes Club. Um, Today, we have the pleasure of hearing the pregnancy and birth story of another one of my lovely clients, Carmen. And Carmen's a mum of two, and we worked together during her second pregnancy where she had gestational diabetes. And in her first pregnancy, she didn't have gestational diabetes, but we'll talk about both of these experiences during this chat. Um, But yeah, I think I'll just throw it straight over to you, Carmen. Do you want to tell everybody listening, like who you are, where you're from, um, who's in your family, so we can get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Um, so my name's Carmen. I'm 35 years old from Melbourne in Victoria. Um, I have a son who is two and a half, um, Thomas, and Alice who was born 10 weeks ago. And yeah, so that's a little bit about me. I'm in finance, um, so quite a busy job um, and currently on parental leave, obviously. Yeah. And you've been working full time, haven't you, before going yeah, on? Right? Uh, uh, I was part time, so four days. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was still quite busy. It was nice to have that day to just catch up on life. Yeah. Yeah. Very busy when you have a, a little one and you're pregnant and going through gestational diabetes. It was, I know that was a really busy time for you. But let's, um, let's throw it right back and talk a little bit about that first pregnancy. So, when you did first conceive, had you been trying? Yeah. So with Thomas, it took a little bit longer than with Alice. Um, when we decided that we wanted to have children, I yeah took myself off the pill. And um, yeah, most people say that it takes roughly, you know, a month or two for your cycle to come back. But for us, it didn't quite happen that way, maybe because I'd been on the pill for um, since I was about 17. Um, and so it did take her a while for my period to regulate um, and I ended up having to go to a obstetrician gynecologist for um, some well, ovulation induction um, medication um, and thankfully that worked the first time around and we fell pregnant um, quite soon oh, after that cool. with Thomas yeah. um, and that pregnancy was relatively smooth sailing. Um, with, yeah, the first trimester, I was quite nauseous and had the morning sickness slash all day sickness. Uh, but once that subsided, it was relatively smooth sailing throughout, uh, just some swelling towards the end. But thankfully, yeah, no gestational diabetes. Um, however, yeah, with Alice, it was a completely different story where, yeah, I think, uh, reflecting upon it the other day where you say that pregnancy could be easy, but then the birth is less so. I think with Alice, it was the complete opposite where the pregnancy was um, quite hectic, but then the birth was quite easy. So I guess it was a nice little comparison. Yeah. Well, it's a spoiler. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> and so back to back to your pregnancy with Thomas, were you in the public or the private system going through that one? I was public for both pregnancies. Public. Um, 
So my first pregnancy, I went through, I did shared care and that was due to COVID. Um, mm. uh, I just wanted to not be in the hospital too much. Um, yeah. So it was easier to do shared care through my GP and that was fantastic because she was a great mm. GP and is a great GP. Um, and through my second pregnancy, I then went solely through the hospital just with um, my birth preferences and whatnot. Yeah, and that was still public, you said? Yeah. 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 Did you feel supported um, during your second pregnancy when it was through the hospital and not through your GP? Oh, my gosh, through your GP? Yeah, um, I did. But I think having the um, knowledge of having been through a pregnancy before, that kind of gave me a bit more to go off. Um, However, if I was maybe hospital-led through my first pregnancy, I might have sought um, extra support elsewhere. I yeah, okay. So busy. But. Yeah, so you felt like your GP was um more like maybe had more time for you. Probably depends like what sure. kind of GP you see as well. Absolutely. Like they've got a special interest in like fertility and pregnancy and that kind of thing and whether it's like a bulk billing place where they do just have to whip you in and out or whether you're paying sure. a bit more money and that kind of stuff. So that's great that you did feel really nice and supported in that first pregnancy because that's probably where it's important to set some of that groundwork, right, where you have no idea, like, what's happening. <laughs> oh, exactly <laughs> right. First time and I felt a lot more confident going into the second pregnancy or, you know, knowing the questions to ask and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Can you think, I know this is putting you on the spot, but it might be helpful for other people. Like, can you think of what any of those sorts of questions are that you kind of needed to know the second time around? Like, as you just said, if you know a little bit more and you know what questions to ask and things like that, some people might be going through their first pregnancy and not know what they don't know, I suppose is what I'm getting at. I think knowing that you can advocate more for yourself is probably the biggest thing. Um because the second time around, I did have a planned cesarean, another spoiler of it. Um, and so, yeah, knowing that that was really what I wanted for the second time, um, I really pushed for that. And they didn't, you know, try and talk me out of it or anything like that. Uh, so I think really just being an advocate for yourself in asking those questions, um, doing your research. Um, yeah, they're the, probably the things that I would, uh, yeah, give people yeah. a tip to going into it that's a good tip I think that is a really good tip and back with your first pregnancy did you have particular preferences around your birth uh not specifically I knew I wanted an epidural um yeah you have a terrible pain threshold so I wanted to yeah I wasn't the type that wanted to go drug free or anything like that I just knew that I wanted it to be smooth sailing. Um, however, my son Thomas was breached mm-hmm. and, um, he came to us at 34 weeks, so he was premature as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, at that point they decided after seeing that I was going through active labor that, yeah, we need to get him out straight away because my mm-hmm. waters broke spontaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, so. At that point, the decision was kind of taken out of my hands, which actually was a huge relief because it is what it is. It just has to happen. Um, and it's safe for everyone involved for, um, him to, for me to have a cesarean to deliver him. So at that point, it was just easy to just 
breathe through it. Mm-hmm. And I did a hypnobirthing course. That was the only thing I really did to just focus on my breath um, to try and manage the stress of that situation. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's full on. Um, well, like, let's just backpedal a little bit. So did apart from that, like, were there any other like particular challenges that came up during that pregnancy? No, not at all. It was um pretty smooth sailing. Um I had a bit of swelling towards the end, but it didn't indicate uh preeclampsia or anything like that. Um so it was just yeah, he decided to come early and was a uh, bit impatient. Yeah. Okay. Describe what actually happened. Like how yeah. Where were you? How did that feel? What was going on? So you're 34 weeks, he's breached. Like, what's yep. what's the situation? What are you feeling and experiencing? So I finished work on the Friday and I was really relaxed. We'd just gotten his nursery all set up for the weekend. And then I had a lovely day on Saturday. And then that midnight, um, my waters broke. And I thought I'd wet myself. But it was, you know, a very odd Random. sensation because, yeah. you know, haven't wet myself in God knows how many years. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just a slight panic because you're obviously in a daze as well in the middle of the night. Called the hospital and, and they said, yeah, just come in and we'll monitor you and whatnot. So did that. But at that point, once they, cause I just had a scan on the Friday as well to confirm that he was still breached and I'd thought nothing of it because I thought, well, we've still got time. He can still turn. Um, but once they confirmed that he was still breached. And uh, I was four centimeters dilated. They, yeah, quickly determined that I needed to have a cesarean to get him out. So, were you experiencing contractions and yeah. things like that that whole time as well? Yeah, once I started, uh, once I was at the hospital, the contractions started, mm-hmm. and they were, yeah, very much like those um, quite intense period, like cramps. So, it was at that point that I thought, okay, let's just start implementing those hypnobirthing. Um, principles of the, you know, focusing on my breath and breathing through it to try and calm myself because it was a little bit stressful not knowing what was going to happen. But once they made the decision of, um, a cesarean delivery, I think I, yeah, felt a lot of relief. Was still panicking because obviously not having been through it and being in a hospital in the middle of the night is a little bit scary. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was quite relaxed once we were there and they talked me through the process and um yeah it was all quite quick as well within four hours he was delivered yeah I was about to ask like how long that actually took because yeah if you were still getting contractions and and things like were you getting any pain relief or anything during that time and then if it was within four hours like that is pretty quick isn't it um yeah but at the same time, it's still four hours. And I think that we can easily brush over that. Like it must have felt like a long time whilst you were there. Um, were you, were you scared or were you just relieved? A little bit relieved, but yeah, I think on the inside, I was just um, without knowing what to expect. It was a little bit scary. And had you considered having a cesarean? Like had you talked about that, discussed that at all? I think I wasn't too concerned either way. It was just whatever will be, will be. Um, I wasn't, yeah, hell-bent on having a, a vaginal birth, but, um, yeah, I was open to if things came to it, that if I needed to have a cesarean, then that, as long as it's in the best interest of me and Bob, then I was okay with that decision. Yeah. Um, just having had girlfriends go through experiences of, 
you know, going through traumatic, like 30 hour births and then needing an emergency cesarean. Like, I'm glad that at least the decision was made up front. Then yeah. I could just tail into that and, um, really through it. And not go through, yeah, you're exactly right. Like go through the hell of a couple of days worth of just laboring for exactly. no real, um, outcome. Like you still get that outcome at the end, but I guess at the end of the day, to say it crudely, it can probably just feel like a waste of time. If you mm. labor for such a long period of time and then it ends up in a Caesar, it can, I imagine it just would feel so frustrating. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, so knowing that you were 34 weeks, like, were there any concerns once Thomas had come out for you or for Bub? Yeah. Um, I think because he, because normally you'd want the skin to skin straight away and then Bub, um, stays with you. And yeah. I didn't know that at the time. Um, but he was wheeled off to the special care nursery straight away. So we got like a brief few seconds of skin to skin, few happy snaps. Um, yeah. Many happy tears of relief, um, but then he was wheeled off to the special care nursery with my husband, um, which was also a bit scary because I didn't have my support person with me, but at the same time, I wanted him to stay with Thomas right. to make yeah. sure he was okay. Um, yeah, so thankfully, he only had jaundice was the main thing, um, just being early, and uh, he ended up on a feeding tube for a couple of days just from yeah being exhausted from being so little. Um, but other than that, he didn't have too many complications, which we are very thankful for. Yeah. How big was he? He was 2.25, so actually quite a good size for um, his gestation. Still so little though, isn't it? Like you can just imagine giving a cuddle to something that's, or a person that's only two kilos, like, oh gosh, it's just so small. Um, but that's that's good. And then did he, uh, like, did you breastfeed? And Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that was um, a little bit challenging at the start just because he was pregnant me. Um, yeah. So the stuck reflex just was just a bit high easily. Um, so we ended up getting a lactation consultant um, privately to yeah. help us once we were home. Mm-hmm. And that just changed things for us. And yeah, we breastfed mm-hmm. for 20 months. Yeah, that's a good tip. If things are feeling really challenging, then a lactation yeah. consultant, like worth their weight in gold. I mean... Then- yeah, I I think that's probably overlooked maybe. I don't know, was it through the hospital that you got to no, you sort that out yourself? Yeah. 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 And so that, yeah, again, that is probably a good tip then if it's not available through the hospital to see a lactation consultant to seek one out, because that probably is really helpful. That's um right. Yeah. And then and did I, you do anything else? Oh sorry, go. Oh, I think um as well, because we did go through the public system. Um, I did seek, I guess, allied support through different avenues myself um, just to get that extra support in various areas depending on what I needed at the time. So, for example, like with this pregnancy, I sought you out for um, to help with the GD management um, and also with Alice as well. We did also get a lactation consultant again because people just assume that you can um, you, you've breastfed before and therefore... You can do it again. And I was confident that we could, but she's not breastfed before either. So it was a lot of whole new baby. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's been a while since I've breastfed. So it um, was a whole new challenge in itself. 
Oh, absolutely. And yeah, we'll get to that. But that's that's so true. Every baby is going to be so different. They're not the same. And you're right in saying that just because you've done it once, it's not going to be the same experience. And it's been a long time between breastfeeds where mm-hmm. you yeah, might not just come back in naturally. Um, and then how was the recovery from that Caesar the first time? Uh, actually really good because yeah. um, I had to get up to go see him at the special care nursery. I think that yeah. is... Um, that forced movement really helped with my recovery um, the first time around. And I think because I did get that few hours where I couldn't get out of bed mm-hmm. um, to go see him, it just allowed me to rest and um, recover. And what was your bonding experience like with him, knowing that he was taken away really quickly and you only got a brief amount of skin to skin? Like, did you still experience um I suppose that rush of like emotion that everyone talks about and that kind of thing. Yeah, I 100% did. Yeah. Um, if anything, it was harder just because he was in that little, um, the incubator mm. thing for his jaundice. Yeah. Um, so not being able to touch him and carry him whenever we wanted to because he needed to be under the light, um, was hard and having to go. Yeah. I think being discharged out of the hospital and upon reflection, not being able to take him home was hard for a couple of weeks. So having to go in there, it was quite an isolating experience because even though you're in the special care and you see other babies, everyone's going through different things. Um, so it's not like you've got another Premi there to, a Premi family to have that shared experience with. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we learned so much from the nurses in the special care nursery, they were fantastic. Um, I think having that, being able to ask them all the questions and have them teach us all their little tips and tricks on how to even just carry a bub, um, and know that yes, they look fragile, but they're actually quite robust. Um, uh, all those little things really helped having, being a first time parent. And I think that was the mindset that we went into it in that let's just try and make the most of it and take all the, knowledge and experience from these nurses as much as we can so that when we're at home less daunting yeah I love that I love that and I think that's again a really good um, tip for everyone to latch on to that no question is too silly um, and just ask everything ask everything I'm not a mum but I imagine that I would be like god I don't know it, know the first thing about any of this so I think just ask the first thing that pops into your head at any time because exactly like That's exactly what the midwives and the nurses and the doctors and everybody are there for. They want to support you. They don't want to see you back there in the next few days because you don't know what you're doing and, you know, things aren't going well. They want you to go home and have the best experience possible with your baby and both get the best start to things. So, yeah, no, that's that's good that it's all kind of had a happy ending with Thomas as well. Um it's obviously not really an ending because he is still alive and well. But <laughs> let's move on to talking about the pregnancy with Alice. So that's probably what everyone's listening to hear more about because that was your gestational diabetes pregnancy. So take us right back to the start. And were you planning that pregnancy as well? Yeah, so that one was very much planned. Um, yeah, we, we've we got a crew coming up where the baby needs to be at least six months old to go on the cruise. And so I thought, maybe if we can tie it right, she'll be old enough to attend and well, um, go with us. And yeah, we were very lucky in that once we started trying, um, it happened quite quickly. So 
very much a planned pregnancy. We were very fortunate in that aspect. Mostly so impressed that you're so organized to have a cruise <laughs> planned, like what that must have been about a year in advance <laughs> to know it that you cruise, though. <laughs> well done. Congratulations on making all of that happen in the yeah. timeline that you wanted. That's phenomenal. Um, so yeah, so you were planned and that happened pretty quickly. That's really, really good to hear. And so what was it like finding out that you were pregnant? And it's all exciting. Plan. Yeah. Very, yeah. very exciting. Um, I think as well, given the age gap between the two of them, by the time um, Alice was born, Thomas would have yeah, been just over two and a half. So, yeah, it worked out really well for us um, in that aspect. Um, yeah, but the first trimester was, I knew what to expect in that. I thought, oh, I'm probably going to have morning sickness again. Mm-hmm. Just be prepared for that. It was horrible the first time. Um, and this time around, it actually was worse. It just lingered for a bit longer than it did last than the, with my first pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, but being through the public system through the hospital, they assessed that I had some risk factors, um, given my ethnicity. I'm Chinese and, um, my maternal grandma, both of them have type two diabetes diagnosed, mm-hmm. um, in, yeah, in later in life. So they decided to test me earlier for that. Whereas with um, Thomas, I was tested around the usual 24 weeks and yeah. was fine with the glucose tolerance test. Um, yeah, so then found out that I had GD this time around, which was quite daunting. Yeah, a few questions before we delve all into that. So just because I know that people always like brush over the sickness element in... Yeah that first trimester so I just want to reassure people going through that that it is a big deal and it sucks and you know you don't have to just sweep it under the rug and feel like "Mm, everyone gets it like because I imagine that would have been hard did that impact your life when you were going through it you said it was pretty severe it it was horrible I was vomiting after most meals um it wasn't so severe that I couldn't keep any food down but a lot of food just wouldn't like I just had a lot of food aversion um but obviously you can't not eat when you're around your toddler because that's not setting a really good example either. But even, and eating out is quite a big thing for me. I like going out and, you know, enjoying food. So taking away that joy was uh, a little bit depressing. Um, but I knew that I was hoping that it wouldn't last forever. And um, that on top know. of, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, that on top of the fatigue, I think, as well, and going to the office and all of the cells around there, that was really tough. Um, I hope might be preempting your question, but yeah, I did tell uh, a few people from work early on um, and then started telling more people at around that 12, 13-week mark. Yeah. Um, I like as well, that's so hard to... Hide. Like, yeah, hide things if you're feeling like you're throwing up after every meal. And particularly, like, I do know you pretty well, and that eating out is a massive part of your lifestyle. And so, if suddenly you're not going out and about with your friends and your family and things like that, people are going to be sus anyway of like going on with Carmen. Um, and I was going to say, when did that start kicking in, and how long were you experiencing those symptoms for? Uh, It started around five weeks and then. Um, it subsided around the 16 week mark. So, oh my God. So, yeah, over two it was months. horrible. 
Yeah, over two months of dealing with that. And could you f- keep food down? Yeah, it was mainly carbs. So I ate a lot of carbs in that time. Um, very plain, bland food. Nothing that smelled too delicious or was too strong tasting. Yeah. Or, yeah, very bland food. A lot mm-hmm. of toast in that time. Yeah. And you know what? I just I have to say to everybody listening and to you, you didn't get gestational diabetes because you ate those carbs in the first trimester you were existing you were doing what you needed to survive and I you know I I know I talk a lot about the quality of your diet and nutrition and things like that on this podcast but everyone please just know that in that first trimester there's no expectation for you to be ticking every single box with your diet because I can't imagine what it feels like for 10 weeks to be throwing up after every single meal have aversions to every food that you can smell like not want to be you know, going out to eat and around people and things like that, you just have to survive and you have to just get some calories in during that stage. And yes, there's things that you can do to try and optimize what you're eating at the same time. And that's a whole separate conversation and not the conversation for this particular recording. But yeah, don't don't blame yourself. If you then get diagnosed with gestational diabetes, don't say that it's because you ate too much bread in the first trimester. It's definitely not because of that. And like you said, you had risk factors, you're Chinese, like You've got a few things working against you. So when did you get diagnosed? When did they decide to do the test for you? So it was around that time as well, the 16-week mark, and then I was diagnosed um, roughly a week after. Um, So getting that call at work, I think I was mostly in denial. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but like you said, um, it's not my fault that, you know, I ate all those carbs and therefore I got gestational diabetes, but that was my initial thought that, um, Maybe it was something that I did. Um, mm. It was only then upon doing a bit more research once I was diagnosed um, that it wasn't, yeah, acknowledging the fact that it wasn't my fault and that it can happen to anyone. And it was just the luck of a draw because in my first pregnancy, I didn't have gestational diabetes. So, yeah. And that probably played into that feeling of denial. I probably did the test like, oh, I didn't have it last time. Why were, why are they worried about this? For sure. No? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how'd you find the drink? Oh, fine. It was just like a flat lemonade. So if anything, I was so hangry that I would have eaten anything, <laughs> drank anything. That's nice for people to hear because you hear so often, um, that it's horrible. It's awful. Like all that stuff. I'm absolutely here for it. If some people are like, oh, it's fine. Like yeah. just, yeah, just a drink. Um, cool. So diagnosed. Yeah. In a bit of denial and then. Did you know anything about nutrition and lifestyle and things like that? Is that has that ever been an interest or something that you have thought about, learnt about, been conscious of or aware of in your own life? Um, probably the basics in that I know what yeah. you know your macros, um, mm. your protein, carbs, and fat. Um, but being quite, uh, being someone who is, I do fitness just to for my mental health. Um, I am conscious of what I am consuming, but having said that, I also love food, love dining out, um, experiencing new things and trying new flavors and that kind of thing. So it's just about striking that balance. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But was it a shock to suddenly have to think about your diet a whole lot more? Yeah. 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 And so then what, what was the process after getting diagnosed initially? Like, who did you speak to? Did you see a dietitian through the hospital, diabetes educator? And who I think did it you was, 
I think it was through the diabetes educator at the start where they set you up with a session, get you to come in to get your, um, your glucometer um, and your little booklet tell you about your fasting levels and, um, your after post meal levels as well. Um, so we had a session online for that. And then, yeah, she showed me how to do the finger pricking. I think I had the most anxiety around the finger pricking and potential need for insulin down, down the track if that was to occur more just for a, a, like fear of needle. I yeah. wasn't into that. My pain threshold was not great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that was my biggest fear in that, you know, I'm going to have to be finger pricking every day and that's going to hurt and having to constantly think about food. So at the start, I think I, yeah, and I joined one of those Facebook groups that yeah. talks about gestational diabetes and just going through trying to get as much research as possible. And I thought, well, if I can try and diet manage, I'll do the best that I can um, and see how I go for a week or two. Um, okay. But then I came across in one of those groups uh, your details. And so I started following you on Instagram and a few other people on Instagram to see what other resources I could find. Um, yeah. And then I think after a week or two, I thought, no, this is not working. I think mm-hmm. I just need more support. And yeah. so that's when I reached out to you. Yeah, which was great. I loved working with you. Um, but then what, like, what kind of things did you try and implement just on your own before we started working together? I'm jo- always just curious as to where you got that information because it doesn't sound like you really got information about your diet from the hospital. So like, where were you getting it and what were you doing? Well, the hospital gives you a very generic brochure from like the, the Baker Institute or something. Or, okay. Yeah. yeah. One of where, you know, it sets out like this number of carbs is, you know, yeah. a rough guideline of what you should be having and that kind of thing. But I think through the groups as well, I think the heavy misconception is that you should be doing low carb and yeah. that kind of thing, which is just since working with you, I've learned it's so wrong. If anything, I need to be eating carbs. Um, yeah. And then you hear family members, oh, you know, she just cut out all carbs and therefore her levels were great, which is also so wrong. And yeah. but also um, very unsatisfying as well because I love carbs. I want to eat yeah. the bread. I want to have the pasta. Pasta is life. So yeah. being able to include that in my meal plan has been a blessing because, you know, I'm still able to enjoy foods that I like um and if anything it's opening me up to a whole plethora of meals that i hadn't previously thought that i could enjoy yeah with having td it's um yeah such a common thought process that you've got to get rid of the carbs and i suppose it's not necessarily wrong it's not like you can't have a healthy diet going low carb you can but you'd have to be pretty well planned about it because we also don't want to be unintentionally in a calorie deficit going through your pregnancy and i do also see a lot on those support groups people um you know celebrating weight loss and things like that whilst they're pregnant because they've cut out carbs and all of that but at the end of the day that's under eating and that also carries risks towards the pregnancy so if you're going to go low carb you need to be sensible about it and know what you're doing and there's and if you're going low carb because you think you have to you don't you don't. And it's probably more beneficial having carbs included in your diet during pregnancy. And in general, we know that carbs are so supportive, like you said, to your energy levels, like your satisfaction and the enjoyment that you get out of meals too, which is a huge part of it that we overlook as part of nutrition, that that is important. That's a really important element to be actually satisfied by 
your meals and to be able to be social with your meals and to go out and be able to go to a restaurant or go and get something convenient and not be overanalyzing everything that you're eating because that can also be really counterproductive. And gestational diabetes is also a time where like disordered eating behaviors and things like that can absolutely strike. And that kind of leads me on to a question for you. And it's okay if you don't want to answer this, but from working with you, I know that you do have a history of disordered eating. So did that feel like that came up again for you after that diagnosis? A little bit. Yeah. I think having been diagnosed and then realizing that I have to be a bit more controlled about what I am consuming and also a bit more restrictive about yeah. certain things that I am eating um, did bring those feelings up. So I think seeking your support really helped with that because um, having that one-on-one support where I could just message you, okay, I'm going out for dinner. This is what we're, this is where we're going. What would you recommend? Um, I think having that support was really helpful. Um, but also the meal plans were really helpful in knowing, oh, I actually need this amount of carbs for this period of my um, pregnancy. Whereas, you know, maybe, and then depending on how my body tolerates that, we can kind of flex that. Um, so I think working with you was really helpful in that aspect. Um, yeah, that I've also got a psychologist that I see regularly to help with that as well. Um, and although I don't still have an eating disorder, it's just that level of control that I like to have um, around the diagnosis that uh, was really helpful to yeah, mm-hmm. engaging your services. Yeah, yeah, because you can see how it could go the other way if you it's didn't awesome. have people supporting you around you. So credit to you for being proactive and making sure you did have those, you know, pillars of support in place because it could easily go down a slippery slope, I think, with GD when you do have to overanalyze things a bit. So when you can just outsource that and let your brain just be peaceful it's and awesome. what I do with my meal plans for everyone listening is I basically like to just get my client's input. So for you, it'd be like, all right, Carmen, like new new meal plan week, what would you like? Or what I do initially is like really just look at what you normally eat and just make small tweaks if we need to, to make sure we are ticking the boxes nutritionally and getting the right level of carbs and the right level of calories and things like that. And then I just don't, I don't think you really need to know those numbers. Like that's for me to work out. And so then you can just like peacefully enjoy your food, do a bit of meal planning and prepping and things like that, and just make it a whole lot easier on yourself, really. Um, so that's great that you had a really nice experience working together because I did too. So that's so good to hear. And did you feel like you needed to change your diet too dramatically? No, not at all. Um, I think at some point when we were working together, you asked because I started a wish list of all the things that I wanted to eat mm-hmm. post-pregnancy and, um, you know, very carb-heavy foods. Like I wanted to eat the lasagna with the garlic bread, for example, and like mac and cheese and things like that. So you asked me for my wish list and then we kind of incorporated some of those things um, in a GD-friendly way, which meant that I didn't feel like I was missing out on too much. Yeah, totally. And also, for everyone listening, that didn't mean that I gave you a lasagna with you know lasagna sheets. Still had pasta yeah. and stuff in it. Like yeah. we're not just doing keto versions of everything to be like, oh, here's like lasagna. No, no, no. We, you know, 
lot of those things that people do put on their wish lists or their like quote unquote naughty lists, they're just normal, perfectly healthy foods that I, sometimes I get those messages and I think, what do you mean? This can just go on your meal plan next week. This isn't going on any treat food wish list. So yeah, that's funny. Um, no, that's cool. If you didn't feel like you had to change things around too much. And what, what would you say the biggest challenge was with gestational diabetes? I think for trying to diet control was probably the most challenging because yeah. um, I, the biggest challenge I had, as you know, was my fasting level. Mm-hmm. I think with um, having a toddler, poor sleep, a stressful job, um, we were toilet training at the time as well. Um, and as well as transitioning my toddler to his, you know, big boy bed and room, it was just all happening at the same time. So my sleep wasn't great. Um, and so we tried a number of different things to try and get those fasting levels down. But after a, a few weeks, the hospital just said, Oh, I think it's time we tried protein. Um, and thankfully I was only on six to eight units, um, throughout the rest of the pregnancy. So very low dose. Um, insulin. However, um, I think as well, once I was, that decision was made, I had a huge sigh of relief because that was just one less stressful thing that I had to manage. Um, and at that point as well, once my stress levels went down, the fasting levels also kind of um, stabilized. Yeah. So whilst I still had to take the insulin throughout the whole of the rest of the pregnancy, um, it was just one less thing I had to think about and realizing that the injection that you have to give yourself for the insulin hurts less than the finger pricking. Um, that was a huge relief. Yeah. I w- that was going to be my next question. I've got so many thoughts and questions, but yeah, I was about to say, how did you find the needle knowing that you're a bit fearful of that? But yeah, I, I hear that quite a bit that the insulin injection is nowhere near as scary as you think that it's going to be. And I think that you're a really perfect example for everybody listening who might be really afraid of starting insulin and feel like it's failing in some way. It's really, really not. And I think um, you are a really good example of how that just totally alleviated some of your stress where you just felt like you could breathe again. I remember it pretty clearly that you're anxious about starting insulin, but once you did, you were like, oh my God, huge weight off your shoulders of constantly worrying about what that fasting number was going to look like. Um, Oh, what was my other question? I also think Another challenge that I remember having was was like the eating out, but I think we managed that really well and you got to have so many options that perhaps you didn't think that you could have. Because I remember experiences like, you know, you went to a festival where there were food trucks and pretty much all burgers and stuff like yeah. that. And you're like, oh my gosh, what should I do? And I remember being like, okay, just get the burger or like just go to grilled and just have a burger and you were fine. And that was probably like a cool mindset shift for you to make as well of like, Oh, these things can be really like manageable. And there were even some other situations where you went traveling, like yep. you went into, uh, where did you go? Somewhere right. that was quite hectic. Yeah. I went to Perth for a wedding. Yeah. I also went to Hamilton Island. Yeah. Um, and so I think, yeah, workshopping with you, but also just dining out almost every weekend um, with the family and that kind of thing, um, being able to text you immediately and ask you okay I'm, this is where I'm eating what do you think I should be having um getting yeah your input was really helpful uh because as a person who loves food as well I like to look at the menu beforehand anyway but um 
the best part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think working with you, working out which meal would be the most um, optimal for my nutrition um, was really um, beneficial, I think. And I got a lot out of that. And it That's took a lot of stress out of my hand because um, I could just text you straight away. But yeah, like you said, with the music festival, that was just like, okay, these are my very limited options. What do you think I should have? And, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, with gestational diabetes, I would love to have the burger and chips. And yes, you can still have that, which is amazing because it does have the right amount of carbs and fat and protein. And Yeah. And I think um, as well, like everyone listening, we didn't just have burgers and chips on the meal plan also. Well, you know, we, we had some balance there, but I, I guess what I'm trying to get across is that gestational diabetes is not a sentence to restricting your diet for your whole pregnancy, not being able to have joy with food, not being able to go anywhere, not being able to go out and socialize with food, not being able to make the sorts of choices you want to. You know, if we can strike a really nice balance where most of the time your meals are really nice and wholesome and they just take a few tweaks to make them as nutritious as possible and make sure they work for your blood sugar, then we definitely have leeway to be able to make some of these other bits and pieces work into that. And we can also look at it in a way of like, well, what can we like benefit from in this meal? Even if it's a meal out, like you said, if we can look at it from a different lens of like, oh, what do we need to cut out of this to make it GD friendly? I really prefer to look at it as like, okay, let's look at this menu and let's say like, what is going to give you the best in terms of taste and in terms of like nutrients that we can give to your body to help grow that baby. So, you know, just look at it a bit more positively, I suppose, is my takeaway asking those sorts of questions with you. And we'll move on to the actual birth in a second, but what are the best tips that you would give to somebody who's going through a pregnancy who's maybe just been diagnosed with GD? Um, If you can afford it, seek out support where you can, yeah, outsource it out to someone like yourself to get that extra support. I think that that was the biggest takeaway for me in that um, one foot, because we did two six round, uh, six week sessions. um, 12 weeks, yeah. Yeah, so 12 weeks working together. um, And I got a lot out of that. And towards the end, I think I felt really confident in making a lot more decisions by myself and just checking in with you that I was making the right decision. Um, and even to the point where once my fasting levels had kind of stabilized and my blood sugars had stabilized around that 32 week mark, um, I was playing around with food a bit more in terms of, oh, you know, I feel like ice cream. And I think we discussed it at the time and you said, just have have the ice cream you don't need to have like the low sugar one or anything like that just have yeah. the ice cream that you want to have um, obviously don't have the whole tub but um yeah but exactly you know, there is freedom there there's definitely absolutely. freedom to be had um but, yeah no yeah, that's a really I, nice tip it's and i gained um i guess a lot more confidence in just being able to um i guess meal plan and set out my you know my ideal plate kind of thing in terms of what how the portion sizes, I think, were the biggest thing for me as well in that, yeah. you know, I think when I decided I wanted to have steak one night and you said, yeah, this is the rough amount that you should be happy and then this is the amount of carbs. And in my head, I thought, oh, that doesn't seem like enough. But once we actually put it all on a plate, it was a lot of food and mm-hmm. we were, you know, very, we felt full after that. So um, being able to implement some of those things into the lifestyle for my husband and I were really helpful. 
That's so nice for me to hear. I feel like this is, I'm just going to give myself a pat on the back. And it's, it's, thank you. That's such, such beautiful, kind words for me. And, but it just, it's fuel to my fire of like why I do what I do to take that stress away from eating with GD because it doesn't need to be stressful. So that they're great tips though. I think definitely get support if you can afford it, if it's accessible to you. And if it's not, then still you're all doing an amazing job listening to even this podcast and getting proactive about finding those resources and find them where you can, but make sure they're credible. So don't go, you know, listening to people on support groups, even though they mean really, really well, but don't feel like you need to do crazy stuff, like cut all the carbs out of your diet and things like that, because it's just not necessary. Um, but let's move on to your birth. So let's let's talk about Alice's arrival. So yep. what happened? So for her, I it was a planned cesarean from the start. Yeah, I think having gone through the recovery and knowing what to expect, um, that's the path that I wanted to go down because I knew yeah. how I could creepy. recover and prepare myself for that. Um, I think the biggest anxiety I had around her birth was just making it to the the birth date. And once I knew she was going to arrive at 38.5, um, once I hit the 34 mark, I had quite a bit of anxiety mm-hmm. around yeah. potentially having another preemie baby. So every day after that 34-week mark was a blessing. Um, but it was a bit surreal at the same time because we were counting down towards a specific date rather than, oh, she can come at any second. And she could still have come at any second. But once we reached that, um, I think a couple of days out, we were like, it's, hap- it's going to happen at some point. So, you know, we're booked in and if she arrives now, we're good. So yeah. it was yeah. a lot more of a calming experience. So we arrived at the hostel at six in the morning. Um, having fasted from the night prior, um, we had a lovely dinner out. To, and I thought, that bit, I'm going to have it. I'm going to have the big plate of pasta. It's one night. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. And we're going to be fasting anyway. Um, so we arrived at six in the morning, but then found out that I wasn't going into a theater until around midday. So um, by the time, because I was the um, cesarean for that morning. Yeah. Um, so I was quite hangry at that point. They'd it's given me only this, you know, small solution of, like a carbohydrate drink to keep me going. But yeah, I was very, very hangry by that point and very much wanting a meal after the thing, uh, after she was delivered. God, how horrific to have to fast for that long. I used to work mm. at a hospital and the amount of times that that would unfortunately happen to people, I didn't work in the maternity suite, but you know, in other areas of the hospital, people think they're going in for surgery and then it just gets bumped and bumped and bumped. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, you know, as the dietitians, you'd be like, they've been fasting for a really long time. Yeah. And we should probably get them into surgery or let them have something to eat now. So you poor thing. That's, um, that's rough. But then how did it go? So you went in for your Caesar eventually. Yep. Um, yeah. Was it smooth sailing or were there complications? Very smooth sailing. Um, it was a very different experience in that knowing what to expect this time around. Um, I didn't really have to implement any of those hypnobirthing strategies. It was just, okay, you know, well, this is what we're going to go through. I'm a lot more present with it because it's not in the middle of the night. Um, and then once she was given to me for that skin to skin, she didn't leave me. Um, so that was a very different experience as well. Um, so I, yeah, held on to her and didn't let go kind of thing. Um, all the way back until to recovery and back into the maternity ward. Yeah. Um, that was really lovely. However, I think 
being having had a cesarean, you're quite limited in your mobility. Um, and so I'm still hooked up with the cannula and IV drip and whatnot, as well as the catheter. So having to get people help to lift her to me and that kind of thing was probably more challenging than it was with Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that aspect, I think um, it was harder. And yeah, yeah uh, my husband couldn't stay with us for the hospital stay either. So just constantly having to get the midwife to come help me um, was a little bit irritating, but it, yeah. we were only there I'm for a few days. So I was about to I was say glad how to long, be home. Yeah, how long was it all up? Uh, I had two nights in the hospital and then, yeah, glad to be home because I also missed Thomas as well. So, yeah. And did you have to have your blood sugar monitored, like whilst you were fasting all that time and then afterwards as well? Uh, not during fasting. Um, it was, yes, that straight after I was monitored um, for the time I was in the hospital until discharge and that was fine. They were happy for me to use my glucometer to do so. Um, Alice's blood sugars were also monitored, um, for, I think for that first few hours and she passed her test and mine were fine. If anything, I had a couple of hypos, um, just from not eating as regularly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, that's reassuring for everybody that often your blood sugar does go back to normal after you've given birth because it's really about that placenta coming out and those hormones have then all stopped, all the pregnancy hormones and everything. So generally blood sugar does go back to normal, which is not to say there's anything wrong with you if yours doesn't. Just make sure that you stay on top of it and that you get the support that you need if your blood sugar hasn't gone back to normal. But Really great that yours did and that Alice's did. That would have been a weight off your mind knowing For that. Sure. Yeah. And then did you do anything um, or did you know anything about like delayed cord clamping and stuff like that? Um, I did from the research that I did with my first pregnancy. Um, I didn't request for any of that though for this time around or anything like that. Um, yeah, I think I was just happy that she was delivered safely. Um, yeah. But- I didn't really pay attention to any of that, but if that's something that people are interested in, then yeah. Yeah, I'm always just interested to know what people are doing. And and then, um, again, like what was your bonding experience like and what was that breastfeeding journey like? Um, bonding was fine. She was, yeah, she didn't leave my side um, from the minute she was delivered kind of thing once her, yeah. her vitals were all checked. Um, and in terms of breastfeeding, yeah, we tried breastfeeding straight away um, and that was fine until she thought yeah we did have a bit of struggles with her latch in the first couple of weeks and so I had you know sore and cracked nipples and that wasn't fun and like I said uh, we did seek out the same lactation consultant that we had for Thomas um, just because it just didn't feel right even though at the hospital um, I told the midwife that it just was it didn't feel right that it hurt and I knew that, you know, at the start it, it might hurt for a little bit, but the amount of pain that I was experiencing just didn't seem normal. But I think once they heard that I had breastfed for so long with my first, that um, it was fine that I could do it. And I knew I could do it once I got the right techniques and the right advice. And so I'm glad I did seek out that support once I was home. You're the best example of how support goes such a long way to making things so much easier for you. 
Yeah. Like just takes that stress away, doesn't it? Um, and how big was Alice? She was 3.25, so exactly a kilo heavier than Tomo. Yeah. And was that reflected on your growth scans throughout your pregnancy? Yeah. She, yeah, she yeah. didn't. Um, and I think that was the main concern that mm. with GD that she would be bigger. But I thought, well, Thomas was quite small. Um, yeah. so it was it, early. It was a little bit, yeah, he was early. Um, so even if he was, uh, even if she was a little bit bigger, I would be okay with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. Yeah. But he never measured at the, never you know, yeah, exactly. So I wasn't too concerned. Beautiful. And since then, how have you both been going? What's recovery been like? And how old is she now? And how is she going? It is 10 weeks now. Um, recovery has been a bit slower this time around. I think with the toddler, you just have to get up and move and whatnot. Um, and I know you're not meant to lift anything heavier than your baby, and but mm. inevitably you the might toddler. need to. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't recommend that, but it has been a little bit slower this time around. However, it's been fine. It's recovered okay. What about your diet at the moment? Have you stuck to some of those principles that you were following when you had GD? Just tell me a little bit about that. Um, probably a bit of both. Yeah. Um, so in my culture, we do confinement. So mm. I had organized to have um, 30 days of confinement meals organized. So all of my meals from breakfast to dinner were uh, right. organized and very nutritious. And so I didn't have to worry about that for the first 30 days. However, since then, um, yeah, been managing on our own. Um, but we have implemented a lot of the same uh, meals that we were eating whilst they had GD because um, they were quite quick and easy. But also I knew that they would be nutritious and um, correct in the proportions that I should be eating. Um, so we have been eating a lot more fish than we ever did <laughs> Just because it's easy to prepare. Um, we did a quite a bit of meal prepping before she was born. So we had some freezer ready meals, um, based off your meal plan. So we've been working through those as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, do eat out as well and be enjoying foods that I do enjoy. So not be too as restrictive. That's a great example of, uh, I suppose, what it looks like when we say, Eat similarly to how you were eating when you had gestational diabetes. Like don't throw everything in the bin just because now you've given birth and you don't need to monitor your blood sugar levels. Still be aware of keeping those nutrition principles front of mind, but have a little bit more leeway and flexibility with it. I think that's a really nice example, like I said, of how that can actually translate into real life. Um, and you know, obviously I gave you some strategies and guidance around that when we finished working together too, but also the biggest tip out of that, and I think I say this every time I do one of these interviews, is please prep some stuff before your baby comes, especially if it's baby number two or three or four or whatever, because if you've got a little two and a half year old running around, I can guarantee the last thing, and a newborn as well, guarantee the last thing is um, that you have time to do or want to do is meal prep. So. It's probably a real godsend that you did have that confinement period and then had been so proactive in making sure that even after that, you would have stuff in the freezer that was going to be just so easy to get out and prepare to make sure you were still eating well. Um, and it's important to eat well when you're breastfeeding. You're probably starving. Yeah. Probably starving. 
Yeah. And you've got to, um, you've got to fuel yourself to be able to get the really good quality milk to be able to fuel your baby. And there's so many nutrients that are so important during that time. So yeah, good on you. You've done a phenomenal job, I think, in managing that. Yeah. Um, I suppose like that's, that's pretty much most of my questions that I wanted to ask you. Although actually, have you done your six week follow up test? Yes, I have. And unfortunately, I did, I guess, fail at the mm. two hour mark. So I am, um, considered pre-diabetic. Um, however, the GP only wants me to test, uh, annually. So I've got a year to kind of work it out, but it's also a big wake up call to just Im- keep implementing those strategies. Um, you know, eating better, exercising more. So I think the only positive thing to implement in my lifestyle. Um, I'm trying to, trying to see the silver linings of that diagnosis, so to speak. Um, yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's probably hard to see the silver linings when you're in that real state of, oh, that's just happened, but, uh, really nice to hear that you are trying to look at it as a positive and think about, well, yeah, it is actually just, you know, not even a wake up call. Like it's the wake up call. Yes. But some of us, I think we do tend to go through life thinking, Oh, I'll make that real health kick down the track when it's a good time, when I've got time to like really get healthy and things like that. But there's no better time than now to start doing that. And especially when you do get information like that where you're like, Oh, it's like shit. Okay. Like uh, let's just make it part of your life. It doesn't need to be like, oh, I'm going on a health kick. Like let's just make it part of your life now that you implement those principles and pay real attention to it and maybe more attention than somebody who isn't considered pre-diabetic might need to. But it's not the end of the world by any means and it can only enhance your life when you are really doing the best thing that you can with your nutrition. And do you feel like you have some of the skills and knowledge to be able to manage that? 100%. Um, I, yeah, I've still kept all of the meal plans that um, we've got that we had when we were working together. Um, I think, yeah, I need to just reset it and review a few months down the track to see how I'm going. But if I am struggling, I'm definitely not going to hesitate in reaching out um, just to see what we can tweak and that kind of thing. So I think, yeah, I'm keeping an open mind because I know that it it is a reversible diagnosis. Um, So... I will be implementing some of those diet and lifestyle changes just to make sure that I'm giving myself the best shot to avoid getting type 2 down the track. Totally. And again, it's not your fault and it's none of those things and that's amazing. Just be proactive about it. Um, I love that approach. I love it so much. But yeah, I think that's most of my questions. And is there anything else that I've missed that you want to share with everyone listening? Um. I don't think so. I think the biggest thing is really if, yeah, as I said, if you can afford to and it is available to you, then definitely reach out for that extra support and outsource those things because pregnancy can be so overwhelming um, with all of the different things going on anyway. To have GD on top of that can be quite stressful. And, you know, I think working with yourself, especially if you do have dietary restrictions, like if you are vegetarian and vegan and that kind of thing, Mm. um, on top of it would be uh, quite overwhelming. So I think outsourcing that was a huge stress reliever for me. um, Mm. And I really appreciated the time that we worked together. Um, 
because it will only enhance my lifestyle going forward and set a good example for my kids as well, I think. The biggest perk, isn't it? I'm, I'm all about that role modelling and it's the best thing that you can do for your family is be a really positive, healthy role model for them. Um, but thank you. They're such beautiful, kind words and it, it goes a long way. I appreciate hearing that so much and hearing that you got so much out of our time working together. And for anybody listening and you are interested in my coaching program, I didn't ask Carmen to say all of those lovely things, but if you're interested in that, then please um, just drop me a DM on Instagram and you can also have a look on my website. The show notes always have the link there, but drop me a DM on Instagram. I'm at nutrition.by.helena. And we can talk about what we can do working together to support your needs. I generally offer six weeks working really closely together, one-to-one doing meal plans and things like that, as you've heard. But thank you so much, Carmen, for coming on and for this chat. It has been amazing and you've shared so openly and it's been really wonderful. I think people will get so much out of listening to this and hearing you talk and being, yeah, vulnerable, open and just sharing all of your wisdom because you do have a lot and you're so busy and I'm so thankful of you giving up your time to be on here Um, and you're a great example of how you can really make GD something that's more positive and enhances your life and really look at nutrition in that positive light and um, be proactive about it and all those things. So thank you so much. Thank you for being you and for coming on and chatting to me today. Really loved it. Not at all. Um, I hope someone gets something out of it. It was lovely <laughs> catching up with you again. Um, yeah, best of luck to everyone out there. <laughs> that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.